Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined in the shed by F1 media legend and expert boatmaker Joe Sayward. All packed for Japan, Joe. You know, but I'm, I don't get the boat maker reference, but well, never mind. When it's uh, been rained out in Japan before, all the teams have made little paper boats and floated them down the paddock. Were you not involved? Oh, no, I wasn't involved in that. I stayed indoors and didn't get wet. Okay, so you were hiding in the media centre. It has been many times we've been there and it's been like that. And I have a vague suspicion, judging by the weather forecasting, although typhoons tend to have a life of their own and go off in strange directions, but it doesn't look like we're going to have a a particularly dry and sunny weekend. Now it doesn't. And we have had threats before of it being delayed to the Monday. Has it ever actually been delayed by a day? No, we we had qualifying on a Sunday morning once, which was utter mayhem. I couldn't tell you the year. Um, But then there was, I mean, there've been lots of kind of delay, mini delay things, but uh, that was the one that I remember specifically. But it is, you know, if you put, if you put something in Japan at that time of year, what, what do you expect? So you're not packing your brolly, you're just planning to to go and hide? Um, well, I yeah, I'm not going to take a brolly. Well, actually, I might take a brolly because those awfully nice people in Russia gave us all brollies, which is a very clever idea. We don't get many packs of goodies anymore, but um, the Russian one was very well thought out and very clever. Now, I, we don't say this about every track, and I'm certainly not a fan of every track on the calendar. Suzuka does have something special about it, especially that first section, the sort of ever-decreasing S's, the fact that it's a figure of eight. There is, there is something special and unique about this track. Oh, yeah, no question about it. It's one of the one of the great tracks that's left. It is, um, it's been involved in Formula One now for, well, since, goodness me, uh, 30 years, probably. Um, and there's a history there. You know, there's lots of exciting things happened there. The Senna and Prost colliding with one another onwards, you know. So um, we've had, it's just, you know, one of those circuits that are part of Formula One and should remain so. We only went off. We did go off at one point to Fuji for a few years. It just rained endlessly in Fuji. It never stopped raining the whole time we were there. I think it rained every year throughout the entire year. That was miserable. I think I've, I've definitely seen predictions of Bert Mylander to be the first car to cross the chequered flag on Sunday. Uh, but speaking of things that are institutions and part of Formula One, we know you primarily as uh, the 
F1 expert on Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex podcast. But that's not where you actually got your big break in F1 media. You were, in fact, the, the Grand Prix editor of Autosport magazine, no less. And it's, it's a big shock around the F1 journalism world. The, is it, is it Motorsport Network uh, are now shutting down mm-hmm. the print copy of Autosport? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, people say it's been coming for a long time. And I guess it has because the content has basically been quite weak, I think. Um, And it went through a phase in the the sort of late 90s of being very sensationalist. And I think that drove away the hardcore readers. I'd gone by then. I I fought against it a lot because I didn't believe it was the right thing to do. Um, And I left and... uh, and the, the people in charge then took it off in a strange direction of everything being, being sensational and, and you know, uh, trying to get um, attention with silly headlines quite often. I mean, we had silly headlines before, but they were fun as opposed to, you know, shockers. And shockers, I just don't think work because people are pretty much immune to that sort of thing these days. Anyway, whatever. The, the readership's been going down gradually over the years. Um, but there are magazines, paper magazines that continue to flourish. And I don't see any reason why that couldn't be the case with Autosport. But they've obviously decided um, some American Russian person uh, who runs it all has decided to kill it and just go online. And, you know, obviously, he doesn't really have a very great respect for the title that goes back to 1950. I definitely want to ask you some clarification questions around the ownership. But I just want to pick up on what you said about what when you were there about it becoming more about, well, what we would call clickbait now. Did it coincide with websites starting to take over and they suddenly had to compete against the online world? No, no, no. It was long before that really became an issue. That was probably five years before that started out. It was just this sort of desire to be sensationalist, thinking it was clever and thinking it would bring in more people. And I don't think it did. I think it it basically just drove away the hardcore. I mean, obviously, it depends a little bit on what was happening when. And in the Mansell years, it sold a lot of copies. Uh, But as the Mansell era waned, so so did the readership. And um, a number of of those people who'd been what you call the hardcore people who'd always bought it every week just sort of drifted away and it became more and more um uh, i don't know it, it just sort of got into a cycle i i to be honest I, I sort of bailed out after that and did my own thing um and so i didn't see it in in the same way as before um and i think you know there's some great writers on autosport and have been for many years but uh, i think that the editorial direction was not always very clever I, and your own thing, of course, being the still in existence, very much in existence, GP Plus magazine, which is a, a PDF uh, post-race publication you put out. Do you, you still believe that there is an appetite for the magazine type format, even though you're not you're not putting it on shelves in newsagents? It essentially still has that magazine feel. Of course it does. And I think the, the key thing that people forget is that Formula One fans are fans not just for 10 minutes. They're fans for a long time and they want to go back and look at things. If you try and look at modern magazines and go back and piece together what happened on a race weekend, it's really hard. You know, in the old days, you went back, you read the Autosport race report, you knew what had happened. Um, Grand Prix Plus follows that thing. We don't break it down into little sort of bite-sized chunks that people can digest easily. Um you know, we, 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 we try to be informative and um, entertaining, which after all is what fans want. So what we're trying to do is uh, the same old ethos. In fact, weirdly, my business partner is David Tremaine, who was in charge of motoring news when I was at Autosport. And so uh, and that's been shut down as well, I believe. Um, so the uh, basically the two old stages, if you like, from rival magazines working together now. And we have an electronic product, but it is old school electronic. And it's blooming quick. It comes out six hours after every race. And it's cheap as chips too. So um, we, we like it a lot. And we've been doing it since 2007, amazingly. If only there was a handy website people could go to to find out all about it. Well, like grandprixplus.com, you mean? There we that go. That would be the one. There we go, Joe. <laughs> uh, help me um, unwrap the the mystery here. So Autosport obviously was its own entity for a long time, but then motorsport.com seemed to explode from nowhere. These are owned by the same people. They share a lot of the content. Is there a quick and easy way to explain to an idiot like me what their relationship is? 
Yeah, a man, a man who raced in Ferraris in North America came along, seemed to have loads of money. Nobody's quite sure where it all came from. Uh, he was a Russian-American. Um, and basically, uh, he just went around buying up as, it, as much as he could and uh, basically bought all the major magazines, Bar Motorsport, bought up lots of websites, and I guess was trying to sort of put everything together, consolidate it, and, and get good revenues from advertising. But they don't seem to have been awfully successful in that respect. You don't think? Um, well, that's why they're shutting things down. Ah, but the autosport.com entity is safe for now? Uh as far as I know, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if they're going to keep. I mean, they say they're going to keep the brand. Um, you'd hope they're going to keep the brand because it's a very valuable brand. But I've also heard stories saying that you know, if you've got motorsport.com, um, you know, just to try and uh, simplify matters rather than having a whole bunch of different websites, um, there is some logic in doing that. But I, you know, I think Autosport is a brand in its own right. But you know, Motoring News was a great brand that that's going to disappear. F1 Racing is a great brand that's going to disappear. So, you know, these things, in fact, Autosport is the mother and father of the brands. I mean, that goes back a very long way. Um, and, and, you know, it's responsible for magazines all over the world. Sport Auto in France was born because of Autosport, which is why it's got the same name, just changed the front and back around, you know. So, um, and I, I, you know, those of us who worked on Autosport for years, uh, many years, are obviously a little saddened by it. and. And uh, you know, you can say that it's it's the march of technology, but I still think there's room um, for paper magazines, and some of them are even going up in terms of their readership. So, you know, um, it's just how you deal with it, I suppose. I mean, I have to admit, Joe, apart from downloading the PDF of Grand Prix Plus magazine uh, and printing it off and stapling it all in the corner and keeping it under my bed. Uh, the only time I tend to buy a magazine is on a plane. And I don't know if I'm typical of, of my generation of Formula One fans, um, but is is Autosport kind of, if, it, if it's winding down, I mean, it re- they're not going to be able to just transfer everything automatically over mo- to motorsport.com. We're really kind of looking at a big shift, it feels like, like a big vacuum yeah, we don't really know where it's all going. I mean, they've said they're going to keep order sport in various different formats. Um, but, you know, we have to wait and see what actually happens at the end of the day. Um, I, I just hope that they keep order sport going as a brand because it's such a good brand. And it and it, and it was, you know, it, it, it doesn't have quite the same. Actually, it probably does. Uh, the same kind of credibility. Um as it used to, but I mean, some of the stuff they do online is is really lightweight. I mean, I think the written stuff is better, but there's a lot of lightweight um, flim flam, I suppose you'd call it, on there. Well, if feeding a daily website is really hard, and yeah. uh, if you have to do that day in day out, which I did for you know, I did that uh, myself for ten years, um, and it's really a grinding down process of trying to keep up with the news every day, and you've got people writing rubbish and and then you get uh, people wanting you to respond to rubbish which isn't even worth responding to um so i think you know these kind of things uh impact on the value of a brand um but i think i I think it's a great brand and it's had it's had some of the best uh, journalists around have worked on order sport over the years well you Not not all of them but you know some some very good ones Speaking of uh, a lean towards sensationalist rubbish, do you mind if I share a rumour that I've heard and, and you can rubbish it and nonsense it? Is that okay? Is that too lowbrow? Uh, that's perfectly fine, so long as it's not Tatiana Calderon going to Formula One. Oh, okay. Well, that, that was later, but why, well, you've said it now. So yeah. it's finally, a female F1 star in the modern era. Yes, except that she's not. She has no means of getting a super license and this ridiculous story in Forbes. She's poised to join Formula One, but she's not poised to join anything. She's poised to finish at the back in Formula Two because she's got the money to be there. Now, I don't detract from the fact that she's a good driver, but Formula Two is another level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're going to make it to Formula One, you've got to be successful in Formula Two. So, But to write rubbish about being poised to join Formula One, I mean, the journalist should be taken out and just put away quietly, to be honest. You know, bang, bang. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's all staying in. We've got a no edit policy now, Joe. Uh, that is the opinion of Joe Sayward, not necessarily that of The Shed. Uh, but, I mean, OK, so let's say she's not a top draw talent coming through the junior ranks. 
has she had the there's same... no point the, the key point is why is any why is somebody trying to make that out I don't know. She knows how good she knows where she is herself. There's some journalist out there who's trying to make a name for themselves, or God knows what they're trying to do. But you know, it's just misleading, and it's and it's wrong. So why on earth are you writing such? Trash? Oh, so you actually think it's just not true? She she doesn't actually have a, a legitimate chance of pushing for F1. No, she has not gotten. She's got no chance of getting into Formula One. Have money? She she is at the back. No, you can't buy a super license. You've got to you've got to score the points. She's been at the back in Formula Two. I think it's two years now. She's finishing last. You can change teams, have another go, have another go, but you've got to finish at the front end. You've got to score sensible points, and she hasn't. So uh, to 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 say that she's poised to be in Formula One is just wrong, and and it's somebody writing misleading articles. Now, I don't have anything against Tatiana, and I wish her well, but, you know, she's not done the job so far. Okay. I mean, we have bad male pay drivers in F1. Yes, we do. Well, no, not in F1. We don't have bad ones. They're all good in F1. Chilton? I mean, well, okay, Chilton's another age. That's five years ago. All right. (laughs) Okay. Ancient history, that ancient history, uh, and I know, I know you think Stroll's fine. Stroll's okay; he's not great, yeah, but he's okay. he's he's competent enough to finish on the podium. I think twice he's been on the podium, if I remember correctly. And if you can get on the podium in Formula One in the modern age, you're no slouch. He's not maybe he's not as good as Perez, but you know the point is he's got some natural pace there somewhere. And just because his daddy happens to be rich, it's not his fault that his dad's rich. Um, and some of the others, you know, quite a lot of them come from wealthy backgrounds. There's a big danger as well, isn't there? Is if the first F1 driver who's female in a long, long time is as substandard as the picture we're painting here, that actually does the, the cause of females in motorsport no good at all. Absolutely. If you're going to have somebody there, they have to be there on merit. Otherwise, you just undermine the whole thing. So there's no point in promoting people who aren't good enough. You've got to find the ones who are good enough. And that, um, you know, the purpose of the W Series, as I understand it, is to uh, try to find new talent. I don't know mm. if it's necessarily the right way of doing it, but that's what it's there for. So, um, you know, good for them. And, you know, Believe me, Formula One would really benefit from having a competitive female Formula One driver. There's no question about it. So, But you can't just make it happen. You can't make it up. They've got to be there and they've got to deliver. And that's, that's really um, the bottom line. It's no good pretending. Yeah, I, I think you can't artificially promote women into Formula One. You need to pack the junior series and, and get them more into the junior series for talent to then come up. What people sometimes overlook about W Series when they get upset, like some of the chat room is doing. Welcome, chat room. Join us by searching for Miss Apex podcast on YouTube. Uh, what they overlook about W Series is it is a junior series. You know, it's pitched at that kind of just below uh, F3 F4 level, so it isn't supposed to be a rival to Formula One. It isn't supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, but some of the people in it are, are going in it from rather strange angles. Yes, they, uh, yes, they will for now. But but having said that, it's a free drive, so why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we'll get away from that. That's not the rumor. My rumor's worse, if anything, Joe. Go on, let's but hear hopefully it. Hopefully, it might be a good launch point. Now, this is just something I've heard, and I'm not. Oh God, you know what? Last time I did this, people got upset. So what I'm going to do just is get, get on with no, it. No, I'm going to I'm going to pose it as a question, Joe. I'm going to take the coward's way out. Joe, do you think there's any chance that with McLaren pulling out of Renault and them losing that 25 million euro a year or whatever, uh, and with them losing key members of the the project at board level, do you think there's any chance that Renault could be pulling out of Formula One and say, are wildly speculating and guessing? could be bought out by an individual like, say, Dimitri Mazepan? No. Well, do you want more than that? It's a load of old tosh. <laughs> They've invested an absolute fortune and they have a deal with the Formula One group, unless it's been renegotiated and they haven't, you know, nobody's announced such a thing, that goes until 2023 or four. Okay. And it's a backloaded deal in terms of money. So they're waiting for all the money that they were promised under that deal to start kicking in in 2021. Because uh, when Bernie Eccleston did that deal, he couldn't pay them from the existing prize funds. He had to pay them from future prize funds. And so 
basically, you know, they've been struggling on lower budgets, but they're gradually moving up. And there's a tradition of success at Renault. And it's it would be very humiliating to pull out. It doesn't mean they wouldn't. But I think they're moving in the right direction. They also have a new boss in uh, in Monsieur Bolloré, uh, who's who's actually keener on Formula One than Mr. Ghosn was. So um, I think... Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I think he, he is, fundamentally. He also recognizes it as being a useful tool. Now, um, in the overall scheme of things, one has to look at Formula One and say, you know, how's the car industry doing and is it gaining anything from Formula One? And these are questions that will be asked um, over time. But I think Formula One is pretty well placed. It's got the right technology. It's not living in some airy, fairy electric land. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, in the next five years to 10 years, it will be fine. I think you then have to look at it after that and say, well, in about 2025, they need to look at the technology and say, is this still the way the industry is going? Because the industry is going to change significantly between now and 2025. Not mainly, I think, because all those people who are investing in electric cars will suddenly realize at some point soon that nobody's buying them. So there'll be great big car parks all over the world filled with electric cars and nobody wanting to buy them. Oh, Joe, what did you call that? Wishy-washy electric cars? Yeah, something like okay. that. Okay. Uh, be sure to check out our sister show, E-Radio Show, that covers the fantastic sport of Formula E. Well, if you like slow cars that weigh too much, yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, they do. They do weigh a lot. Uh, we've got some questions about... Renault. 900 kilograms. I mean, they, they chug along like barges, honestly. I'm, anyway, they're driven, they're driven by good drivers, so... I and was, they have some very good marketing They programs. do. They do. And lots of, like, electric noises and fancy flashy DJs. I was looking at some footage of um, Suzuka 2004 or 2005. Uh, it was silver McLarens. Raikkonen was in a McLaren. And speaking of the weight, those cars were so much lighter. And they just looked nimble. And they looked like they were following each other. And the track looked bigger. I, I don't know why I have not noticed it before. But, you know, with these hybrids in the back, you're talking about heavy Formula E cars. Formula One cars are massive. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're uh, four-fifths the size of a Formula E's. I mean, they're weighing in at 700 and something, but it's nowhere near the 900. They're still very nimble cars. They're bigger cars. They're heavier cars. And I don't, there's a lot of people who think that that's a bad idea. And I think I'm one of them because Formula One cars should be lighter. And I don't think it's to do with all the the paraphernalia. It's largely due to the fact that the, the FIA wants heavier cars because they seem to think it's safer. Oh, the, oh, they think the weight makes it safer. Well, apparently the weight makes them slow down more when they hit things oh. or something like that. I don't know. I mean, that- there is a, there is an argument in favor of the heavier the cars, the uh, the less damage that one can do. But there's also a million counter arguments as well. Yeah, physics. But but anyway, um, Ranish... <laughs> minor point. Yeah. A minor point. What's physics got to do with it? Ranish Vai asked the question on Twitter, Joe. He tweeted at Mr. Apex F1 and at Joe Sayward, which is where you can also be found. How does Joe rate a beatable? What was his influence on the rebuilt infrastructure in Viri and Enstone? So Viri's where the engine's made. Enstone's where the car's made. Should mm-hmm. we criticise Cyril for not finding a new Newey Braun to design a proper chassis? That This is his question. Um, uh, or is he doing very well uh, since FE? I don't know what that's in relation to. But yeah, the question is, how do you rate Cyril? I think Cyril's... I mean, Cyril was... Bless him. He was a disaster when he was a a team principal at at Caterham. And I think he admits as much, but I think he learned a lot from his mistakes. And I think he's doing a good job. And um, uh, I think he's one of the problems he's had is he's always working with less money than all the other manufacturers. So he's obviously struggling. But I think, you know, we'll see changes coming. We have seen changes coming. There will be more changes coming. I'm pretty sure that you'll see some changes in the technical team before too long. Uh, I think that has to happen. Uh, we have Esteban Ocon in there. We have Daniel Ricciardo in there. Um, we have completely revamped factories. Um, certainly in Enstone, there's a lot more space, a lot more people. Um, so I think I think we have to judge him in a couple of years. It's a bit early to judge him yet. But, you know, he's beginning to uh, get into the swing of things. And let's see how it goes. Uh, yeah, okay. So good. Well, it's just that he's just... Yeah, I, I don't know why he's got such a 
bad reputation? I think it's just the way he comes across. In, in is that is that only in front of cameras? Um, no, he he works at his RPM level is fairly spectacular. Um, you know, he 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 speaks French and English at, at seventy five thousand yeah. RPM. He's a very intelligent man. Uh, not many people can do that in two languages and make sense. Um, and Cyril does make sense usually. Uh, obviously, you know, we all have our moments of madness. But um, I think that uh, no, I think he's 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 a pretty smart guy, uh, and he plays a good um, political game. Um, and I, I I don't think you can write him off and say that he's he's not very good at it. I think he is very good at it. Do you mind if I lead? He may, not, he may not be as good as Toto Wolf, but that's another story. <laughs> okay, uh, Joe. Do you mind if I lead on from that? Because we had some really good questions on Twitter mm-hmm. as well. Because um, it's been a while since we spoke to you. Because you were let down by your French internet, weren't you? Wasn't we? Had, was. we had it was not, very much so. Well, yeah. People had started to think we'd we'd fallen out. It was a technology based problem. So it's been that long. I don't think we've spoken to you since the Hulkenberg announced that he would not be renewing his contract. And the, the question is from, let's see, it's from oh, Ben. Sorry, you, you, you said Hulkenberg announced he wouldn't be renewing his contract. You don't no, think it might would, be the other way around. It would not yeah. be renewed. I, I beg your pardon. This is why yeah. I keep you around, Joe. You're an expert. Ben Ford says, where does Joe think Nico Hulkenberg will be driving next season and who is likely to be in the Williams? That's a good direction to go. Okay, well, should I be, should I be controversial here? Yeah, I think, please. I think that... Nico Hulkenberg uh, is, by accident, I should add, very well placed at the moment um, for a future in a place in Italy. Because, no. well, we have a, we have a, a distinct um, a burnout going on in Marinello at the moment. We have two drivers who are both trying to be number ones, and they can't be. And right now, it looks like the youngster is going to win the game. You have to say that at the end of next year when Mr. Vettel brackets $42 million uh, and Mr. Leclerc $2.5 million come to renegotiate, you can multiply Leclerc's money by 10 and still save $20 million um, if, if, you were, if Mr. Vettel wanted to move on somewhere else. Um, if you're Ferrari and you look at the history of Ferrari and the way they've always operated and Mattia Benotto's been there long enough to know how it works. What you want is a really good number two or a number one and a half, as we call them. <laughs> and Nico Hulkenberg is exactly that. Daniel Ricciardo is exactly that. Um, probably Perez, but Perez is, is actually locked into a Force India contract. Um, and there are Bottas as well. There's a number of people who will be on the market at the end of next year. But if um, Ferrari was smart, I think they might take on Nico as reserve driver next year, have him all trained up and just be ready to step in because he's not going to beat Leclerc, but he will keep Leclerc honest. That is what I quite like about that idea. So I could see that happening. Um, I can also see uh, the Alfa Romeo situation (laughs) is Alfa Romeo, Giovinazzi's not really delivering the goods to be, to be, uh, no, true. To be, uh, Accurate. Fair. <laughs> to be accurate, accurate, accurate yeah. fair, whatever you want to call it. He really needs to up his game. He is the Ferrari young driver hero. He's Mr. You know, he's going to, he's supposed to be following Leclerc into Ferrari. That was the original plan. He's not doing it. So now will Ferrari fire him and put Nico in Alfa Romeo to keep him racing next year? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a possibility. But if you're Ferrari and you've effectively lost the world championship, are you going to fire the only Italian driver there is in Formula 1? Because remember that Ferrari has the right to nominate one driver at Alfa Romeo. So I just don't see them doing that. It doesn't make an awful lot of sense because they will be murdered. So um, I think that either you promote, and I used the word promote in inverted commas, Giovinazzi to become test driver at Ferrari and then forget about him completely, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what generally happens with test drivers. And you put Nico in there. So you can say you've promoted him. Um, or you just put Nico in as reserve driver and have him not racing for a year. Anyway, these are these are my thought processes. Whether they happen or not is another matter. But I can see that you don't need, you don't want to have uh, Max Verstappen next to Charles Leclerc. You, no. You're just creating a problem for yourself. And if you look at their history, Schumacher had Irvine, had Barrichello. Alonso had Massa. Um, and Sebastian Vettel had Raikkonen. You just have somebody who's good enough to 
um, keep the uh, keep the team leader on the straight and narrow, but not enough to challenge him. And they need to do that to to basically just to stop this mess that is currently developing. So a little while ago, on the twentieth of September, I tweeted a thing which made a lot of people very angry and spread a lot further than I thought it would. Unsubstantiated rumor that I heard muttering around the Italian press. And I shared it as such. I said, unsubstantiated rumour. So it was at the time that Grosjean got re-signed by Haas, I tweeted that Haas retained Grosjean as they were told by Ferrari to back off Hulk. Ferrari have a performance clause in their contract with Vettel that allows them to terminate with him at the end of the season. Ferrari are looking at Ricciardo as their first choice to partner Leclerc with Hulk second. That is that you saying your things there makes my tweet seem less outrageous. Well, vaguely, yes. <laughs> I, I don't think I, th- I think that that Vettel will um, will not be thrown out of Ferrari until the end of his contract. But I don't think I don't see any reason to renew, particularly at the kind of money that they're talking about. When does I mean, Vettel's, the whole, contract, the, the, yeah. Vettel's contract ends at the end of next season, twenty twenty? Right. Now that means you've got another fourteen months of of difficult times with him and Charles, um, which is not easy to manage. Um, you know, because if they're not trusting each other and doing silly things like Charles did to Sebastian at Monza and then Sebastian did to Charles in Sochi, now, this is not good for the team because at the end of the day, go back a zillion years to the days when Nelson Piquet and Nigel Mansell were fighting and Alain Prost came through the middle and stole the title from both of them when William should have won that title. You know, so yeah. you have to, you, you really, although it's great to see teams allowing uh, free reign, uh, Commercially speaking, and even sportingly speaking, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. You you just want to have a number one and number two. Um, that doesn't mean I like it, but that's the reality of what you need to do. Uh, 2007, obviously, as well, a good example of that. And I think the only times where you can justify it from a sporting point of view is like when you had Williams really dominating out at the front, or if you had when you had Mercedes at the start of the hybrid era uh, at the front, at least that made for some racing. But it's a sticky plaster, isn't it? I, I actually love, I like the dynamic of the number one driver, the junior driver doing the team game. You know, because like footballers, you know, even when they come into a, a changing room, they might be playing at left back, but they're still cleaning the boots of the star striker. I don't, I doubt that happens anymore. But, you know, that's the old thing, isn't it? You come in as your number two driver and you're kind of earning your stripes a little bit. And that seems yeah. to have kind of been lost. Yeah, it has because, you know, the thing is that the guys coming into Formula One nowadays are also very well and highly developed. But they don't have time to sit around and just sort of, you know, grow into the role. Yeah, Leclerc's pop. arrived, bam, Sebastian's going, oh my God, what's happening here? And he was already, remember, at the end of last year, Sebastian was already beginning his making lots of mistakes. I think he's still very motivated and I think he still very much likes the sport, but I think uh, he's struggling to beat. Leclerc. I mean, he beat him in Monza, which was kind of amusing because the team accidentally undercut itself there. Um, it really was an accident, I believe, that, that Vettel actually ended up winning it. Um, and, you know, I can see why Charles was a little bit upset with that. Um, and I think I think in, uh, in Sochi, uh, my gut feeling is that Sebastian was always going to hand it back, but he was making a point. And the point was that we had a deal in Monza, and you you didn't keep to it. In the Monza qualifying, Charles did not honour the deal that they had. And so I think in Sochi, it was a question of, look here, kid, you know, we don't have to play um, honouring deals. Now, the problem is, what happens next? Where does it go from here? But, you know, Sebastian is no, is no lightweight um, and shouldn't be written off, but he does, he does still make, make mistakes. And he makes mistakes because... Uh, he's very passionate and he's fiery. When he, in, in a car, he he pushes too hard. He makes mistakes. He has red mists. He does stupid things like he did uh, in Monza where he drove back on and you know nearly took himself out big time. Um, and you know he's. I don't think that's ever going to go away. That's in his character. But are there you know throughout history generally? the fastest guys are fast qualifiers. It's really worrying that he's been out qualified like nine times in a row. He just doesn't seem to have the raw pace or the raw lap time that Leclerc has. And that starts to make you go, 
oh, there, there probably is a shelf life on this. He can preserve the tyres better for now. Leclerc's still in his first season in a, in a Ferrari. It, I mean, it does not look good for Sebastian Vettel. What's the way back for him if Leclerc's got the ultimate lap time on him and is only getting better? That's the worry. Oh, the answer is leaving. All right, okay. As yeah, Daniel Ricciardo yeah. did against Max Verstappen. You know, uh, Daniel's a very good racer. And he could outrace Max sometimes, but he couldn't outqualify him at all, ever. And I think in the end, he just had to look at it and go, well, where can I go that isn't here? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks, Joe. I know that you uh, love talking F1 calendar and Max Verstappen made a fascinating comment. Uh, we discussed it on the on the news show on Sunday, but they were talking about the divorce rates in Formula One increasing now that we do have this new calendar more or less confirmed. Uh, but I, I mean, what was the reaction? It, it is actually confirmed yeah. oh, now. Okay. Apart, apart, well, it was confirmed mm. by the World Council last week, but you know, there's still some people who, who want us to believe that the races won't all happen. Oh, I see. Okay. But you can't operate your life and your plans. At some point, you must have gone to Mrs. Hayward. Oh, look, I'm basically not here next year. Uh, you know, but how did how did that go down? And how's that going to affect all the families in, in the media pen as well as the teams? No, it's, it's what we do. You know, it's uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't want there to be 22 races, but we're going to be 23 races in the future, maybe 24 races. And then it's a matter of deciding if you're going to do it properly or not do it properly. So um, uh, it's all to do with money. I think, I think expanding uh, the number of fixtures is not necessarily the brightest thing to do. I think the brightest thing to do is expand the high-paying good ones, keeping enough classic races in there as well. Um, and basically, if you can make their, their, their dream of week-long festivals, cities will pay more money because cities will make more money. It's all about money. A week-long festival? What, and, and that means more street circuits going forward? Yeah, basically, it means going to destination cities, which is what, you know, they... Uh, but, you know, don't pull faces <laughs> because the street circuits they're going to try to build are going to be good ones. You know, there's no point in going to street circuits where there's no possibility of overtaking. I agree with you entirely. It doesn't make sense. But, you know, if you look at what they're doing in Hanoi, I think it'll be a very good circuit and there will be lots of overtaking. You think? And Ooh, good. Yes, I do. And uh, I think that, you know, if you're trying to do that kind of thing, you've got to design the circuits carefully and properly and not just sort of plonk them down in, in the middle of a, an American town with a left-right, 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 you know, square patterns and just hope for the best because it just doesn't happen. So I think if you were to do that and have your week-long festivals with the Grand Prix at the centre of it all and balls and exhibitions and conferences and all these other things that they want to have, um, cities will pay more for it in the long term. But, you know, you have to have a balance between quality of life brackets what quality of life when you're doing this much traveling um, 
And also, you've got to look at the turnover rates of people in the business because people are not the same kind of life as they used to be. People do a few years and then stop. They do? Yes, there's a lot more people who 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 don't don't sort of hang in there all the time. Is it like more. is it like a young man's game? And then as they think about having a family, they tend to drift away. Uh, in a way, it's also a young woman's game to be uh, correct in these matters. There's lots of young women in Formula One, um, but you know they all have other life goals, and uh, the idea of doing the same thing, going to every race for twenty years, doesn't necessarily appeal to them anymore. Mm, but for for an old sweat like you, Joe, is it is it actually appealing to have a more packed calendar? I mean, financially, I, I guess you're you're it's more content, so it's more freelance work. Whether that's what you want, no, to it do doesn't work like that. No, it, no, it really doesn't work like that. More races doesn't mean more money. Um, I wish it did because <laughs> um, that would be nice, but it doesn't actually always work out that way. Uh, because every publisher in the world says, well, you know, it's only one more race, isn't it? You can do it for the same money, can't you? Oh, I see. Um, and, and, you know, basically, uh, until you sort of explain to them that, well, actually, no, you can't. Um, but, you know, there's almost no jobs like that left anymore anyway, to be quite honest. It's, you know, um, you're employed by somebody or you have your own magazines, you know. Um, otherwise, how are you going to make the money? There are not there are not freelance, freelance outlets out there in any great number anymore. Uh, shed-based operations are the way forward, Joe. I can see it now. I can read it in the tea leaves. Yeah, true. But then again, you you know you don't get all the exciting changes of uh, of uh, clock and climate <laughs> and uh, and all the things you miss as a as a Formula One reporter. I'm missing two weddings in the next year, so already I know that because there's so many races that you can't actually you can't pretty much get to any wedding, to be honest. But it does give you more opportunities to do your live audiences with Joe. And I've had at least uh, several people get in touch about your Austin uh, uh, mm-hmm. potential. People want to know. People want to go and see your audiences. Have you confirmed that you're going to do one in, in Austin yet? I'm doing one in Austin on the Friday. I'm just waiting for the uh, the venue to come through and confirm. But in principle, it's Friday night in Austin as previously. And if all goes to plan, it'll be the same venue. But I can't say 100%. The minute I can say it, I'll put it on the blog. So, um, And of course, in the finest editions of all these things, venues get greedy too. So. Do you pack out the Austin one as much as you do the UK ones? Um, it, it's grown. It has ups and downs. Uh, it depends what else is on that same night. Friday night in Austin tends to be a busy night. Um, and uh, we'll have to see. I never know in advance, really. Um, Australia is the biggest of the lot. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ah, see, if you think uh, Joe is outspoken and opinionated here in the shed, that is nothing compared to the audiences with Joe. It is an experience. I've been to two of them now, Joe. And to say that you open up is an understatement. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about getting people in to find out what's going on and what it's all about. And uh, there's no point in being cagey uh, <laughs> if you if you do that. You no, know, I'm there to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth as much as I believe it to be the truth. You know, I can't always. I'm, I'm not necessarily always right, but um, you know, I have a pretty good um, uh, database and uh, sources to find out what's going on. True. Let's get back. No, most of it's not in the brain anymore. Most no. of it's in the computer these days. You know? I see. Uh, let's get back to the the murky world of the F1 grid. A couple more questions to finish off, if you don't mind, Joe. Uh, we rarely get to speak to you without talking about Williams. And uh, Joran Jordan asks, I'm wondering if the optimistic view from George Russell, uh, presumably that Williams will improve, has any foundation. And if the team got around to reorganising their technical group after Paddy Lowe left. And here's the great part of this question. Uh, in that sense, we do not hear anything on the consulting from Patrick Head. So how is that all shaking out? Is there any cause for optimism? And I know we were very negative on Sunday about just basically the whole Claire Williams era, and it's hard as a Williams fan to not feel down. Well, I don't think you need to put much um, emphasis on the Patrick Head consulting because there isn't any of that really going on as far as I can tell. They have a group of people. There are five of them, I believe. I, I did an interview with Claire quite recently, and it's all in Grand Prix Plus magazine, actually. Oh, okay. All about, all about uh, who's where and what, because we had the same questions. You know, what is going on at Williams? Um, do I think it's going to get any better? Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Put it this way, it would be hard to do any worse, wouldn't it? 
with a Mercedes engine, it would be pretty hard to be worse than they are already. So you'd want to hope that George was right. And you'd want to hope for George's sake that he's right, because George is obviously a talented young man. And you don't want to be stuck in a, in a, in a team that's not doing it for too long. I mean, is it all bad? I mean, he's shown himself to be good this season. Another season beating, is it Latifi, who's probably coming in next season? That's not going to harm George mm. Russell, is it? Well, it's not going to do him any good either. You know, the, the clock ticks by every year. Um, oh, okay. George will He's be... like nine or something. Yes, I know. But even so, you know, these these are... It's very difficult for young racing drivers to be patient. They're not used to being patient. Um, they're not used to being anything other than egotistical. Um, <laughs> so no, and so. No, but that's how they should be. Um, they, they should be entirely self-centred um, because that's what makes champions. And um, But, but you, you've got to... You've got to be in the right frame of mind, and if you're in a in the last, if you're guaranteed to start from the last row of the grid every every single race for two years, it's quite hard to keep the same level of motivation and confidence and all the rest of it. I, I just wonder if it's a similar mentality with boxers, where they want to keep that undefeated record for as long as possible. So if you're George Russell's manager, you might be like, well, you you know, as soon as you jump in the ring with the world champion, as soon as you jump in a car next to Lewis Hamilton and get beat, it kind of takes the shine off the drivers. You know, look how quick people were, how quick they were to write off Vettel when Ricciardo beat him in one season at Red Bull. There's that kind of that kind of prize fighter mentality. So I, I don't know, is there any benefit just to keep, in, keep George's nose clean for another year? Well, it's the worst case scenario. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not the worst case scenario. It's fine. You can just tick it over, but it's not the best case scenario because in the meantime, your your regular rival, Mr. Leclerc, is walking away winning races and, and, and becoming a megastar and being paid loads of money too. And George won't be, you know, there won't be a massive boost in salary for George, will there? Joe, you're going to head off to Japan. I'm, I'm getting reports here in the chat room that the typhoon is is heading down there. Do, do you leave yourself an extra day, like a bit of fat on the other end in case it gets postponed? No, but the only the only flight that one can get out of, or the only flight that one wants to get is on Monday night anyway, out of, out of Osaka at about midnight. So um, we can't get the one on Sunday night, Monday morning. So we have to do the one on Monday night, Tuesday morning. So there's a little bit of leeway, but you know, I don't think I don't think that there's uh, the idea that a race would be moved onto a Monday. That happens in America, I know, but that's a smaller world. Um, I think there are so many things that have to be on the move. Um, least of all, uh, cargo planes, because Formula One is supposed to be in Austin a few weeks later, a few weeks later, a few days later. Um, and, you know, you can't rebook cargo planes that need to leave at certain times and things. It's all very complicated. So I think if a race doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, I don't think you'll be oh, seeing okay. races delayed. There's just so many, there are so many um, invisible joints that have got to be held together to keep everything on on the uh, on the straight and narrow that you can't afford any kind of time. You see the speed at which the team starts stripping things yeah. down. At races and you understand you know if when we leave the press room at midnight two o'clock in the morning uh, on a monday after a race the amount of stuff that's not there already is impressive all right bold predictions ferrari shouldn't shouldn't i say shouldn't this isn't a track that on paper would suit them but they're giving mercedes bloody noses in qualifying they're holding on to it they're being tactically better than they have been in the past do they have a shot well, they should do with a car that fast. But having said that, Mercedes is a hell of a good team. So we'll have to see. Also, I think Red Bull, you've got to keep an eye on them too. Oh, yeah. No. So uh, with Red Bull, uh, what, what I've heard anyway is that they are just going all out in this race. They don't care if they blow up three engines. They're just trying to get a, a car up onto the podium. In the finest traditions of Honda hand grenade engines. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, which have always been the case at Suzuki. I don't really understand the logic behind it, but you know they just want to be heroes in front of their home crowd, I suppose. So yes, they'll have super hyped up engines and probably one or two of them will go bang. Fantastic. Have a fantastic trip there, Joe. We'll catch you possibly on the other side of Austin. Uh, where do we point people to get all your stuff and go to your things? Well, Joe Blogs F1 still works, I think. And uh, GrandPrixPlus.com. And if you're really into it, I need to know the details. There's something called the JSBM newsletter, which is inside of stuff, uh, which is at flatoutpublishing.com. Oh, so. the notebooky thing as well. 
Well, there's also the notebook that's on the blog. Ah, okay, so. good, fantastic. The green notebooky thing, as it's well known. Yes, this this has been Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex podcast. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter. We also have a great Facebook community. Search for Missed Apex podcast on Facebook. We'll see you for the Japanese race review. Wherever you see us next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory. Last forever. This was Missed Apex. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.